Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling confused about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. As always, if you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. (laughs) Today, I'm sitting down with Judy Rodman, singer, songwriter, producer, and vocal instructor, Judy. Hello, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am good. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Of course, my absolute pleasure. So uh, I know I gave you like a, a very, very, very brief intro, but for my listeners who are less familiar with you and your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Well, I, one of my monikers is all things vocal. So that pretty much, you know, I've been in this business for 50 years now. And so I've gone down a lot of rabbit trails and hit a lot of brick walls. And therefore I've looked for whatever is working next that I could do excellently. And I've discovered a couple of things. So I'm, I'm a lot of things. I'm, uh, you know, if it has to do with the voice and with the messages of the voice, and that includes recording and performing on stage uh, and even writing as in songwriting, I'm your girl. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I want to unpack all of that. Uh, but first, so let's start with uh, the, the music industry. What initially got you interested in, in music? Um, well, <laughs> my father always was an amateur musician and I was raised in music. I mean, I've been doing music since I was old enough to make a sound or, or talk for sure. Got put on a different harmony part with every kid that came along. So, you know, I came at it. I've always I've always been a singer and a musician, but um, I went into it as for like looked at it for a vocation, a poss- possible vocation. Mm-hmm. When I did my first national spot at 17, I sang a jingle that was Gino's Pizza Logs and I went national. So I'm like, I could make money doing this. Mm-hmm. So that's what started me off. Oh, wonderful. Okay. That's what started it. But, you know, your your career has has expanded much much more beyond that so could you maybe unpack that a little bit for me so you did so you started with the Geno's commercial which was amazing <laughs> um and then what then was kind of the next steps you took particularly then like what got you into country music eventually on that too well the thing that got me everywhere I've gone uh happens to be a bunch of brick walls so <laughs> The first brick wall was um, that I was doing jingles. I actually got, uh, uh, we moved from Jacksonville to where I did that, that commercial mm-hmm. to Memphis, Tennessee, because my father moved and, you know, I had to move with the family. That was just like a requirement. Therefore, so I did. And lo and behold, there were jingles to be done. There was a big jingle company called the William B. Tanner Company. And I got on as a staff singer. So for seven years. I sang from 8.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. There was a lot of record work too in Memphis. And I got into that 
both the R&B stuff, High Records, uh, Willie Mitchell, all that stuff. Plus, uh, Lynn Liu, uh, run by Larry Rogers, that was the countryside. And, you know, though my even though my father was definitely into country music, he was from he and my mother are from uh, rural Mississippi. I was raised in the big cities all over the place because my father was like a sir. I was like a service brat because he was an air traffic controller. And that meant we moved around a lot. So I got really um, inter- introduced to all kinds of music from classical to rock to pop to jazz to everything but of course in my back pocket was always country music because i was raised with it so in memphis i really really came to love army and never really gotten into that genre but so i I was learning all the way and all with all these different genres in, in ways that would help me so much in the future so anyway, the first brick wall that I faced was moving from Jacksonville, you know, to Memphis where I didn't know anything. Then I, at the end of my seven years of jingles and doing uh, stuff, studios, I got sick. My, my son was born. And when he, when he was born, I had some complications uh, from Crohn's disease and yeah. ended up in the hospital for three months, intensive care for seven weeks and lost an octave and a half of my voice. And uh, the surgeon told me it was probably permanent scar tissue, but after all, I was still alive. Yeah. Well, say that to an artist that they can't make their art anymore. (laughs) It doesn't go down well. So anyway, I learned to get my voice back most by myself uh, at that point, doing uh, some classical exercises that I've been taught in my one little year in college, taking classical lessons. And so I exercised my head voice. I learned to get my voice back. Then the next brick wall we faced was, you know, I wasn't working in Memphis and I had a new son and my, my husband and I, who's a drummer, we then moved to Nashville. So I, I began, you know, getting into session work there, got into all the big groups. So sang with all the major artists of the time in, uh, in the 80, in the eighties. And then uh, it wasn't a brick wall. This one was an open door. Tommy West, who used to work with uh, Jim Croce and uh, was looking for something new because Jim had died in that, you know, that plane accident. So I had just started writing a little bit in my downtime in Memphis while I was healing. And and, uh, so he looked at that and decided he liked what I was doing. So long story short, about four years after having lost my voice completely, or maybe it was six years, five years running there, I had a number one record on a new label. And so, and you think that's going to last forever. You know, I won uh, Academy of Country Music New Female Vocalist Award. I uh, was, uh, you know, on the top of the charts in, in for, for, three years, I guess Mm -hmm. I had top tens and was performing on the tonight show. And, you know, the Austin city limits, all these things, you think it'll never end. Well, (laughs) my next brick wall was that the label folded. And when the label folded, uh, I was older by then and new artists were, were, you know, they did, it didn't used to be that way in country. but the new artists were younger and came along. And so I didn't get re-signed. That made me have to press into my songwriting career, which then I had a big number one hit 
by Leanne Rhymes uh, from my Warner Chapel uh, catalog, mm-hmm. one way ticket, and you, you know some more hits. And I had had some hits myself as my as an artist. So you think that's never going to end? Well, after a few years, people stopped cutting my songs for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. So I was dropped from Warner Chapel and went to a couple of other different uh, publishing companies and really wrote some great songs. I I believe with all my heart, but for some reason, it didn't gain any much traction. So my friend, Carol Chase, and this, this has happened, this is the way brick walls turn into turning points too. A friend gives you a lily pad. Mm-hmm. My, my friend, Carol Chase had uh, sung with me and, and I had done a lot of production by then too, in one month with my demos on songs and also uh, on, on records in Nashville. And I would be a contractor, an after SAG contractor. Uh, so I would call Carol Chase a lot to sing with me. So she knew what I could do. And she got a gig with Leonard Skinner on the road and was having a little trouble hitting a note. She asked me how to, if I could help her. And I'm like, why do you think I can help you? <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, I could, mm-hmm. because she'd, she'd seen me tell people what to do through the years. And so she gave me a belief in myself as maybe being able to help other vocalists that started me down the road of vocal coaching some 20 odd years ago. Okay. And I really uh, gained a lot of, uh, fir- I first tr- tried that hat by using what I knew mm-hmm. that worked, you know, on stage and in the studio and lo and behold, it worked for others. And I found that I was really good at di- diagnosing issues with voices so I had a gifting there and then I just dug in did research talked to doctors other vocal coaches uh chiropractors Alexander Technique you know just just really went down that rabbit hole and learned to plow my own field I developed my own method which is really really effective at uh getting strain out of voices and maximizing what voices could do Mm-hmm. And I called it power path and performance. So to wrap this story up, then I started producing my own students because they needed a producer that knew what they were doing. And I was really good at digging into other people's stories and music. And mm-hmm. also, of course, getting their best vocally in the studio. So now I do all of it as I want to with the people that I want to. Mm-hmm. And I love my life. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, so there's a, a, a couple things that I, I want to dig into a little bit more. And so through your journey, and again, you mentioned these brick walls. Um, and it's probably easier to talk about it now, but in those moments when you were hitting brick walls and people stopped producing your songs, what what kept you going? And what was that feeling like? And and what were you doing to kind of push past that, like the area of, of rejection? I think what I really am getting now, now actually is the idea of rejection. So you have mm-hmm. definitely in the music in the music industry experienced it a great deal. How do you deal with rejection and push past it? Well, I do it a whole lot better now than I did. I have spent many uh, a day at those brick walls, four days. I, mm-hmm. I remember one time there were like three three weeks I cried and I don't even remember. I, I, I was crying at my washing machine and I didn't even remember the last few days. 
I, I was so despondent, mm -hmm. but the, here's how I did it. Uh, it was either do it or die. I mm -hmm. mean, I had a family mm -hmm. to support. I had my, a new baby. And, and I think my parents had given me this idea of hit the bottom and then bounce up and just start running again. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I remember when my artist career failed and then my songwriter career failed, I actually put an ad in the paper. I put two ads, one for organic gardening, which I knew how to do, how to plan, mm -hmm. and one for vocal coaching that I just started doing. Well, guess one which one took off. <laughs> so I went through that window. Yeah. I think that what I would throw to, to your listeners is that you can't trust your own brick walls that you will get past them until you do, but you can trust looking at other people that have hit those brick walls and gone on. And I promise you that if you trust your journey and you just put one foot in front of the other, mm -hmm. there is no brick wall. That's not a turning point. Hmm. Good to know. Interesting. So the other, so let's get into your vocal, vocal coaching. So power path performance. Um, so what is that process like for someone who wants to come, who comes to you or uh, about wanting to you know, improve their, I guess, their, right. their, yeah, their vocal techniques and everything else around that? What's that like? Well, when I was teaching and I decided I wanted to make a system. My, part of my brain is sort of system oriented mm -hmm. because uh, if I hadn't gone into music, I would have been a research scientist <laughs> or, or an astronaut, one sure. or the other, because yeah. I was really wanting to do that. But anyway, um, so I asked myself, okay, all right. Cause I didn't, I didn't have a roadmap. I didn't, I didn't, you know, train to be an academic vocal teacher. I, all I knew was what I knew. And I looked at what works for everybody, singing or speaking, what works for everybody? What's, what's the common denominators? Because everybody's different. And, and you know, some people have the opposite problems. So what I, the conclusion I came to, and to this day, it's never changed, is that everything I know that's important about the voice, I can put in three categories. Either it's about breath, or it's about an open throat, or it's about communication skills. Mm -hmm. So I used some alliteration and came up with three P's, power of the breath, the path through the open throat, and per, uh, performance, which means communication skills. And the thing is, it's not just logical sorting of information, but they, those areas are synergistic. Mm -hmm. So the way I've come to teach is to have my student perform for me first, do something, sing, sing something or speak, you know, do a speak speaking kind of thing. And then I assess where the, where I'm seeing the issues. And then I address the issues right there. And I've come up with all kinds of ways through the air, through the years to, you know, to address issues, mm -hmm. but I'll address that specific weakest area. And then invariable, invariably it will help the other areas. So it's synergistic. And in the end, the voice not only sounds better, it feels better mm -hmm. and it works better. It actually works for what voices are for, which is delivering messages and getting responses. Right. So I, uh, I, I know this an individualized type of uh, assessment that you do, but are there common 
vocal mistakes that the average person does that oh yeah and what what are what are those uh these are these are like job security points for me oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> because everybody does them that's okay, fair num- <laughs> number one number one is they over push air and i've got a you know a way of i, I call it pulling instead of pushing for power whether mm-hmm. it's speaking or singing and that uh, you know it's it, you use the the energy of articulation to pull your voice out instead of push it out yeah and that makes breath support and breath control uh, efficient and balanced and that's when your vocal cords don't feel anything they just vibrate and then you open your open your head you open your throat you open you know the spaces in your throat channel and then that vibration becomes incredible res, uh, resonation. Mm-hmm. And then you shape it with your communication skills. Uh, so, but, but that pushing thing, that's the number one issue that gets people in trouble. And people's speaking voices get them in more trouble than their singing voices, uh, I would say, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What are your thoughts on vocal fry? Mm-hmm. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like yodeling. I say never yodel unless you mean to. Well, <laughs> never, never fry unless you mean to yeah. ah, like that. And when you do do it backwards, whether you're a metal screamer mm-hmm. or you're speaking the Kim Kardashian syndrome absolutely sucks for the voice Yeah, because you, in fact, it, it's an interesting experiment to listen to a voice that has a lot of vocal fry in it. And you'll notice that your own throat starts to bother you Mm -hmm. because your throat is configuring to what you're hearing, like literally. So uh, uh, vocal fry is when you're not supporting your voice. You you should always speak on the air, not have the air push your voice and then pull the air out from under your voice at the last minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good to know. because there is, well, yes, a- along with that, I know there's actually, let me just ask you this one. Um, what other types of, let's say, ticks that you've noticed people do in modern society that could be easy fixes, like vocal fry or um, up, up talking? Or, um, you know, it's kind of like. <laughs> ditch those words. They don't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That's a big one. And, you know, a lot of this, I just said it, but yeah. a lot of this stuff, you don't even know you're doing until mm-hmm. you hear yourself recorded back. So that's a great tool is to actually record yourself. Mm-hmm. But that is a big one. And uh, also thinking instead of doing that's like, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about telling you this and I'm not really doing it quite yet. So my articulation is going to be affected and I'm still thinking about it, but now I'm going to tell you about it. And that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's a good, um, that's a good thing. Uh, as I'm doing this right now, because uh, I just noticed <laughs> watching you go through these, I have realized mostly because Busted. of modern, yeah, because it well, also because of modern technology now where I have to stare at myself while I'm speaking with individuals for work. 
And I have not done that in the past where I've noticed that I do that oftentimes where like I'll cover my mouth or I will think and speak simultaneously. And then you're right, that switch happens where suddenly my voice will change uh, thinking versus speaking. That's right. Oh, that's <laughs> one very self-conscious. You know, the funny thing is that's when I work with speakers, that is yeah. that is really almost universal. Yeah. They don't realize that they're thinking instead of speaking it's a and, and you know what it's also singer songwriter syndrome mm-hmm. where when you're performing you are performing like you're still writing it but you're when you're writing it it's internal right it's not external if you wrap your head around two things i think this helps and i mean i i say enough ums and i mean things that i, I bust myself with four fingers pointing back every time I point one, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, the, the, the two things that you can, you can consider is, you know what? My rabbit trail just ended. What were we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, let's see here. You're talking about things to consider with your voice, right? Um, Singer, songwriter, singer, songwriter. Yes. Right. Okay. First of all, what the heck is the voice for? Mm-hmm. The voice is for delivering messages. That is not internal. That is external. Even if it's to yourself, you got to be a bit schizophrenic because otherwise the sound doesn't mean anything. It is, it is not necessary, right? So the first thing you have to do is figure out who the heck are you really talking to? Really? And even though I'm talking to this webcam right now, right. I'm, I know that I'm actually talking to you. Can I put your being behind that little eye of the camera? So we have to use our imaginations, right? And then it changes what we do with our voices. The goal, the brass ring, every time you make a vocal sound, really should be to get the response that you want, even if the response is just like a little nod of the head or a freeze of the body because they're thinking about what you're saying, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's num- number one, know who you're talking to. And the other thing is, imagine that they're a little bit deaf, a little selectively deaf, and then you can articulate a little bit more clearly, even if it's, you know, not really deaf, but just like uh, situationally deaf, like, I'm not sure I want to hear you, <laughs> you know, make them, make, them, make them stop looking at their cell phone by spitting it out a little more clearly. Mm-hmm. And then your voice really, really changes. But if you're stuck in thinking still mode in rehearsal voice, I call it instead of performance voice, that's okay. You just got to know that you're doing it and then turn it on just like an actor does when they're going into character. Look at whoever you're talking to, even if you can't see them, look them in your mind's eye Mm -hmm. and get the response that you want. And that changes everything. Yeah. So in that instance, so let's say like in a work environment where you're trying to do both, do you, I mean, do you recommend the individual stop talking in general to think through their, their idea first and then ask or speak about that? Or how do you balance that in a real world situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason is that not only will you not communicate well, and you're going to get a little bit chaotic with words and things like that, 
you are perceived as not quite being on the ball or not, mm. not quite having all the strings woven into that tapestry. <laughs> and so you don't want to let them know that. <laughs> Weave the tapestry first in your thinking, which uh, gives, there's one other tool that you can use. It's incredibly important when you have an important speaking engagement or singing engagement, and that is preparation. If you know what you're wanting them to know, if you know what it is you want to tell them, then even if you fumble around and stuff like that, you'll wind around to the point and you'll get there much more succinctly and authentically. If you're not sure what you want to say, though, yeah, wait until you are. Okay. The other part I want to ask you about is the idea of people who speak over you while you're talking. And I know this happens more in, in a business oh. setting over Zoom, but for somebody who is maybe a little more timid and they do like what you're just suggesting and they pause for a second and then somebody who is very outgoing, like talks over them, how do you regain control or even like own the space with, with your voice in those kind <laughs> of instances? You just use the magic word, space. Yeah. You know, if think about a room full of kids, mm -hmm. you can yell at them or you can get very still. And a lot of times the very still uh, maneuver works better than yelling. Because they're like, okay, what, what's up? <laughs> but it's the way you're still. It's not that you're meekly still, but you're still very tall, eye, uh, eye language. And then whenever you do say something, say it very clearly, do not sneak in. Mm. And usually they'll give, they'll give ground for that because it seems more authoritative. And for people that are guilty of talking over other people, sometimes in families, you know, we get raised and we get raised with other siblings. And if, <laughs> if we don't, raise our voices, then we don't get listened to. It's like the squeaky wheel gets the Greeks or whatever it is that we want. So we get used to doing that. I did it. And we get used to talking fast and we right. get used to never allowing space because then they won't let us finish our sentences. And you got to break that habit mm -hmm. so that uh, here's, here's, the, here's what happens when you do break that habit people perceive that you actually are listening to them and you actually care about this conversation. You're not just speaking your truth. You're actually having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And you can even do this with nonverbal conversation on their ends. Say if you're giving a speech or a talk or a presentation, look for their response and wait for it. And wait for it. You'll, how long should you wait for it? You'll know if that's what your goal is. I'm telling you, that goal of getting a response from who you're talking to absolutely changes everything. Mm -hmm. hmm. So in these, these habits that we have developed, um, you know, all of them, how do you, I mean, obviously working with someone such as yourself is a great way to break those habits, but in, uh, in addition to that, 
how can somebody who just say just now maybe listening to this podcast or, or me now realizing what I'm doing can <laughs> can kind of break through or break out of some of these habits, these bad habits we've developed through, you know, just being not, not knowing or not paying attention. Mm -hmm. I would say three things. One, record yourself, record yourself doing a mini, like a, a talk and use something like a piece of tape on the wall or whatever, a picture as your avatar for who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And then listen back. Don't, don't talk directly to the tape machine. That's like, me talking into like I, I'm not talking to this mic because I can't get a response from it. <laughs> I'm talking to you through this mic. Right. That's that's another mistake that people make is when there's mics involved, whether it's in this recording studio or over Zoom or whatever, talk through the mic to the person, not mm -hmm. at the mic. Mm -hmm. Okay, two, join Toastmasters. Hmm. And You'll get, I, you know, I haven't joined it, but I know a lot of people that have and have gained a lot of experience from it because you get feedback from people right there. And three, get out there and do it. Just do it. And you, they don't have to know that you're practicing your voice on them. You're right. practicing your presentation on them. But have, be like this little secret agent thing, like have your goal be, to make them respond in some way. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're talking or singing to a whole venue or a room full of people, don't be a flashlight, be a laser beam. Mm -hmm. Talk to the one heart of that room and, uh, and, 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 and try that. And the more you do it, because you know, our lizard brains are what gets scared most of the time, not, not our conscious minds. Our lizard brains are like, either they're going to kill us or they're going to throw tomatoes at least. And that's always the fear. <laughs> so we have to quiet the lizard brain down. And part of that is just doing it. Mm -hmm. It's like walking a horse that's skittish, a, you know, a, a real high strung horse around a field. At first, they're jumping up and they're, they're skittish because they don't know where the lions, tigers and bears are. Mm -hmm. The way you cure that is to walk it around the field and walk it around the field until it knows I got this. Nothing's going to get me. I own this field. And then your voice will do the same. Right. So I'm, I'm curious how your business and teaching has evolved since COVID. Um, so yeah. I know it's, it's, you know, it's something that you can do, which we're, you know, we're doing now, we're able to communicate over, over technology, but in your own individual business, what was it like in a pre-COVID world? And then how has COVID changed? your teaching and what you're doing right now? Well, thank God I got into Zoom teaching for uh, a few years before COVID. And that was because I wanted to get out of the circle of Nashville and not, you know, work with country artists, but also work with other genres of artists because I'm really interested in any contemporary voice uh, type of music and also public speakers. Mm -hmm. So I had already started Zoom and then, in March of what, what was it? 2019, was it? 2020, yeah. yeah. I, I had a premonition, man. I do not want this bug. So at that point, I shut my doors and I told everybody, I'm going online only. And at first, hmm. they weren't quite comfortable with it. But uh, they, if they wanted to train with me, that was the only way they could do it. Mm -hmm. So almost all of them 
took the risk with that first lesson. And I've also learned some workarounds when the Zoom signal gets funky, you know, I'll just use my phone for the audio and we'll mute the screen and that works. Okay. And uh, things like that. So, but I, you know, in a lot of ways, COVID, it, you know, I, I, I've really was very wary of it because I don't want to get sick. I've been sick and I never want to go there again. Right. And I don't want my husband to go there again. And my friend, you know, anybody else that I know, my family. So before vaccination, I really was a mole with double masks on when I went to the grocery store. I've been double vaccinated and boosted since mm -hmm. then. And so I still wear a mask and I still only teach online. Mm -hmm. And we'll do that until I feel really comfortable mm -hmm. that, uh, that I'm not going to not only get sick, but get my students sick because I could get mildly sick, but I could kill a student, you know? Right. So I just, I'm just erring on the side of caution while the music business and the entertainment business opens back up. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm lucky because I, I don't have to do it. I know there are other people that need to make a living and need to get out there. So they're trying to do it as safely as they can. But the other thing the pandemic has made me do is really, I, I mean, I learned to do some internet marketing when I developed my courses mm -hmm. and created my courses in vocal training. And I've been selling them since 2004 hmm. online. So uh, I've learned to be an internet marketer. I've also yeah. learned to be a businesswoman. And I have learned how important it is to actually pass that knowledge on to my students. Because unless you want to stay a hobbyist in the arts, if you want to do business in the arts, you've got to learn business and you've got to learn what's actually working, which is constantly, as you know, changing. So I've, you know, I'm, all, I'm on roller skates and I'm always learning new <laughs> strategies. I've, I'm actually a member of this group called the Marketing Trailblazers online headed mm -hmm. by Denise Wakeman, who taught me to do my first blog back Oh, many years ago, so many years ago. So uh, yeah, I, I, it, in a way, it's been like rocket fuel for mm -hmm. me to learn to explore deeper into the globe instead of just where I'm at physically. Yeah. yeah. So on that, the business side of it, what resources would you recommend that somebody listening to this uh, take advantage of so are there favorite books or no i know you just mentioned um you know with a marketing the trailblazers yeah mm -hmm. is that primarily like if right now if you were starting over would you just go right to marketing trailblazers are there other organizations and books and um, individuals that you have been following actually yes i i would go straight to marketing trailblazers because you can start as a beginner there and you can okay. also be quite advanced and uh, i love that uh you know the, the other thing is books like, um, what is it? Getting, getting Things Done. And I can't remember the author, but uh, it, if you can get a hold of a good business coach and learn basics of real business, because most artists don't have a clue and right. their bank account shows it. And I didn't for many years, you know, I was, you know, outwardly very successful, but not according to my bank account, because I didn't know how to do business. I didn't know how to, uh, you know, 
invest appropriately, save uh, appropriately and spend appropriately and all that. So besides that though, business strategy, I was lucky enough to barter with a high-end business coach named Mike Coleman, who I highly recommend. Mike uh, had a really terrible speaking voice. <laughs> he, he needed help and I needed his help. So we bartered for a couple of years and it was such a beneficial relationship for both of us. And uh, I learned uh, to make my priority list. I learned to ask myself what I'm afraid of. I learned to ask myself, what's the next thing that I could do to advance my business goals? And and, and so that's what I would do, you know, within your industry, whatever it is, whether it's music business or you're a speaker or you're a painter or, you know, two things. One, learn the business promotional skills for your industry. And two, network with people that are doing business in your industry. How do you network best? No matter what kind of network it is, my advice is figure out a way that you can be valuable to the person that you need help from. So it's a win-win. Mm -hmm. Somehow it's a win-win. Wonderful. I, um, before I let you go, I do want to ask about vocal warmups. Mm -hmm. So do you, how do you approach vocal warmups for a non-singer? And what are some things that you recommend people do in general? Well, the number one thing is whatever you do as a vocal exercise, pull it instead of push it. So one thing that works for speakers is the siren because everybody can do that. Mm -hmm. And that's just going, if you start with woo, 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 just saying woo, woo, woo. And then kind of just starting low, going high and going back low. Woo, woo, woo. And do it into a candle and try not to blow the flame out. Oh, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you'll be pulling before you know it. Yeah. And Wonderful. if you can, if, if you have the ability, try it with a, uh, they call it semi-occluded vocal tract exercises, or SOVTs. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can use a bubble, a lip, lip bubble. <laughs> with the goal of making uh, big bubbles instead of small bubbles. <laughs> That's it. it the, the bigger you can make those bubbles, the better your breath management and okay. the more open your throat. And then if you can't do that, you can possibly do tongue trills. Some people can do those better. I do bubbles better, but, and then there's the raspberry, which I won't, <laughs> I, won't <laughs> I won't put on my mic right now, but. Sure. Whatever you can do, I'll kind of, uh, whatever sounds you can, you can do, try that. I also have developed another exercise with the balloon. Uh, so it's a little two inch water balloon mm -hmm. and you blow into that balloon in such a way that you open it, the butt end of it, and you don't collapse the stem. And again, what it teaches you to do is pull your air and manage your breath. Uh, both ways, both you're, you're sending air through, you don't want to not breathe. Mm -hmm. You are sending air through, but you're also holding air back. Uh, the other thing that's always works with speakers as it does singers is posture. 
park your head over your tailbone or your heel if you're standing instead of the balls of your feet or your pubic bone and power your voice from your pelvic floor instead of your chest. And so, and, and the last thing I'll say is what mm. your hands and arms do, whether you're recording and nobody's there, do something with your hands and arms. Otherwise they become rib anchors, tightening your rib cage and blowing your breath control. So you can put them on your desk or on your thighs or put your elbows behind your, behind you when you're on stage speaking. Uh, but whatever it is, you want your head balanced over your tailbone and your heels instead of forward. And that instantly uh, improves breath issues mm -hmm. and opens your throat because your throat opens up. Wonderful. Sorry, Judy, for one second, you froze. Let's see here. Let me turn off my video for one second to see if it's me. Nope. Are you still there? See if you come back. Not. Oh. You are muted now, but I think you're you're back. Your video is back. Where did I get to before it froze? Perfect. Um, no, you made it. I think you made it to the at least you made it to the end of a thought talking about okay, good. from the pelvic floor, not the 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 balls of your feet. Um, so I think we're good on that one. Again, I'll I'll go back in and edit out some of these. So that's okay. not, not that's not a, not a problem. You got it. You got it. Great. Um, and I'll just pick it up, and then we'll do my last question and sure. all that. Um, so with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? I think the surprising advice that if you do it right, selling is a holy art. And I heard that from Seth Godin. <laughs> it's funny, an artist just hit me up with this question. She's, you know, that I'm working with, this, this artist I'm working with, I produced her and I also am her vocal coach. Mm -hmm. And her last single from our project is moving up the charts. And she called me worried that she can't figure out how to feel comfortable on camera, promoting herself. And so I told her what you're doing, you're not promoting yourself, you're promoting what you're giving them. And if what you're giving them actually makes their world a better place in some way, if the art that you're making, you know, gives the world something positive or something that the world needs and can make it better, then selling it is just making it visible to the people that need it mm -hmm. and therefore selling is a holy art mm -hmm. and if it's not don't sell it <laughs> I, I love it and that's a great caveat on the end of that it helps you really believe in what you're you know what you're selling and what you're doing that's wonderful right judy thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me i really appreciate it it's if been a lovely conversation thank you Oh, wonderful. And I love if, your podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. If the listeners would like to join your, your vocal teaching um, projects or see what you're working online or just get in touch with you, where are the best places to go to do all of that? My hub is judyrodman.com and you can find everything there. 
if you are into listening to podcasts, which hopefully your <laughs> listeners are, you can find mine at All Things Vocal, All Things Vocal Podcast. And I will say, if you go to my website, judyrodman.com, you can download a free five-page report on vocal health okay. that we all need right now. Yes, we definitely do. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I also realized that on your website, you have a great recipe for uh, a drink in case you get sick. That's supposed to help oh, yeah. bring you back to, to center again. Oh yes. If you can do it. Yes. it's <laughs> <laughs> You might want to dilute that drink, but yeah. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. It, it's, it's potent. <laughs> it looks like it. it looks, but it also is like, I kind of want to just make it just in case. <laughs> Don't put a metal lid on it. It'll eat through it. You have to put it in a glass <laughs> bottle with a plastic lid. Okay. That tells you what it is, but wow. it works. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting. So I look forward to that. So if the, um, the listeners uh, need any of this information, I will put it all in the show notes so they can click right through and also get in touch with you. Great. Uh, great. Thank excellent. you. But again, thank you so much, Judy. This has been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.